Welcome to Dumpy Little Unicorn Podcast. Today I'm joined by the author of the World Maker Trilogy and part of the team behind the Breaking the Glass Slipper Podcast, Lucy Hanson. Lucy, hello. Hello. I'm really happy to be here. Good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm really good, thanks. Having a chilled out Sunday and because it's back to Hogwarts Day, I'm kind of yes. reminiscing about Harry Potter, which is my, one of my ultimate comfort reads. Oh, tell me about it. Mine too. It's just Oh, which one's your you know someone says which is your favorite book and I have to say well I always say Goblet of Fire because that's the book I read cover to cover mm-hmm. about four times while I was waiting for Order of the Phoenix to come out when I was about 14 and I was yes. the same age as Harry which was just super cool yes I always loved Prisoner of Azkaban oh it's so good <laughs> it's so good you know like the oh Lupin and the chocolate oh, and yeah. the Dementor on the train. They're just, don't even get me started. I have oh. so many love moments <laughs> of Harry Potter. Oh, I, yes, that's, uh, I just think that, that that third novel is is just plotting perfection before it gets, you know, they become handbag breakers. It is so good. It's so funny because I did an Instagram photo where I stacked all the books up this morning mm-hmm. and it's so noticeable. Like you have, you know, slim paperback, 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 and they're really quite um, modest. And then yep. you go, boom, Goblet of Fire, even bigger boom, Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> and that book is enormous. It's amazing how um, it goes from being very much a children's book to yes. very much... A, uh, a teenage and then an adult book about Harry Potter and raving about how amazing Harry Potter is yes. still after all these years I'm not a big fan of the films though because I'm a massive book purist <laughs> and also I was an extra in um, the first film which is it sounds very glamorous but yes. it really wasn't <laughs> highlight or not so much of a highlight, was filming in London Zoo in November, which of course in the books it's July, yes. and they were busy sticking leaves onto the autumnal trees. And of course, we all had to be dressed as if yes. it was summer. summer. Mm-hmm. It was not summer. <laughs> it was very cold. Oh no. Yeah, the magic of, the magic of film. The magic of film, uh, yes. So it was... Uh, everyone's oh you were in Harry Potter and I was like it is not as sexy as it sounds oh that is have you been to the studios though to see the all the sort of ephemera from the films no I haven't no I've been twice I'm probably due to go again because I keep adding stuff to it and it's it, it honestly quite magical to go to just to sort of see sort of elements from the films and just the sheer amount of work that went into building all the props and the the scenery because it you know it, well, a lot of it it does look they sort of stage the Weasley's house and they uh, the potions um, oh come on brain the, the potions dungeon and things like that with and it's all lit beautifully so you can take photos and they look good it's 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 well worth going just just sort of have a wander around been a couple of times and I would I would go again <laughs> I so, uh, there's a lot of photos circulating on social media of people posing with the um trolley halfway through the wall yes, in King's Cross I've done that <laughs> oh it's quite cool it's like I, I would quite like that photo and the other photo that I would wish I'd done is um sat on the uh, iron throne when it yes. was around Yes. to be sat on because I've seen loads of people with cool photos it's just that I actually hate most photos of me so right. I'm always convinced that I'm gonna you know be in the Iron Throne and it's gonna be like a terrible photo and I'm gonna be too embarrassed to use it at all for anything well, so they um 
my local cinema is the O2. And I went along to, well, we, we just went along to, because that's where our cinema is. And the the Iron Throne was there just before the final series. So I went and had my photo taken wearing a, um, like a Jon Snow cloak, oh. sitting on the Iron Throne. And one of the pictures, I looked like Tormund. <laughs> uh, oh my God, <laughs> Minus the beard, mostly. But um, yeah, I look like Tormund in that picture. And I'm like, oh, great. That's 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 nice. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. It, yes. But I, I I don't care. I will I will quite happily make a fool of myself. And uh, yeah, I, I do so quite regularly when we'll go to things. I'm like, oh, I want a picture doing this. <laughs> so just going to move on slightly and um, talk about your books and talk about specifically the World Maker trilogy to start with. And the the, the magic system in Kindred's World is gorgeous. Where did that come from? It's a question I've had a few times and I'm always slightly surprised because to me it it seems like it's oversimplified, like it's Mm. so straightforward. You know, it's like, oh, cosmic magic. Surely that's been done a thousand times. I suppose the bit that's slightly unusual is the the fact that it doesn't work you know if you have moon magic you can't do anything during the day yeah uh, which is it's a handy kind of built-in inhibitor because I find that obviously uh, you know mega powered mages kind of ruin plots Uh, so you find that your characters just can get out of pretty much any situation far too easily so I think all magic systems have to have some built-in um, inhibitor so yeah. you know and I think that adds to the tension as well but yeah I, I I'm really not sure where it came from I the original idea for Worldmaker I thought up when I was about 17 and right and reading a lot of epic fantasy is specifically yeah. the Wheel of Time and that was a really big influence mm-hmm. uh, on on the series but yeah it just you know I kind of liked the the triad of like sun moon stars really yes it especially to begin with the sort of like the yin and yang of um you know you know moon and and sun and that sort of balance and then and then you get i guess is this a spoiler sort of kindra being sort of starborn so that, so that starborn and something else i think we're okay to kind of say that i mean it's the fact the first book is called starborn and you know it, it yeah. is a coming of age story in the classic uh fantasy style pretty much hints that you know yeah that's that's what she is she is and what she ends up becoming and that's one of the things i as of like she's she is kind of a, a chosen one but she doesn't necessarily fit that typical trope she's was I'm guessing that was a deliberate choice or or did that kind of grow organically as well so I wanted to write the sort of um, coming of age story that I really enjoyed as a teenager but rarely featured any female protagonists Mm -hmm. and on top of that I wanted to write a realistic character who doesn't become a hero overnight yeah um that she starts off she's not perfect she obviously faces terrible choices and she makes the wrong choice several times uh like you know you would we, we're all human yeah um but I mean anyone who's read the series hopefully they'd agree that she does find her courage and herself in the end um, but it was it was something that was very important to me to uh, I mean I grew up reading farm boys you know farm yeah. boys becoming heroes and while I'm a fan of the chosen one trope 
the thing I'm not a fan of is how perfect they all seem, like how how upstanding and moral and they're really good boys. Yeah. You know, they they make mistakes, but they, they make them out of innocence. Whereas I felt like, well, I kind of want to write somebody who can be diffident, arrogant, complacent, uh, any of the other words mm-hmm. ending in ent. Uh, <laughs> um, but and that was really important to me to write someone who is real, but at the same time, you could still empathize with and and you know they weren't you didn't feel like they were already perfect at the start and they didn't have a journey to go on yeah uh, and that was one of the things that I I noticed about her is the way that sort of she develops through the novels and sort of the the more that she enters into her power the more distant and the harder she finds it to relate to sort of the rest of her her, what were her friends it's yes it's quite a fascinating because that's you know that's quite an unusual take on things you you don't normally find that happening um yeah it's something I spoke about briefly um before uh, on a panel once um I was talking about uh how very often uh female characters particularly those written by females Mm -hmm. Uh, tend to be accused of having romantic plot lines or being influenced by their emotions like you know no one else is of course we're all influenced by our emotions yeah. but I felt that they that that women were kind of unjustly labeled as histrionic and yeah. I thought well what if you had a character who whose very power kind of depended on them being separated from emotions mm-hmm. uh, and you know if and actually you know if uh, when when Kindra does feel emotional she actually can't access her her powers at all so which was again a built-in safeguard because yeah. I figured that you know with someone with that level of cosmic power yes. if they became angry or or you know they they, they began to hold grudges you know you could destroy half the world yeah so you know but it, but she's but but then again she is a teenager she's a young woman with all the emotions and the you know the the kind of growing up pains that come with that so yeah. letting go of herself and letting go of of empathy being able to empathize with other human beings that is a that is her central kind of torment throughout the series and you know and and choosing basically between remaining human or saving the world yeah and it's it's I, I just found that such a fascinating sort of like it was something that she really sort of was fighting almost fighting herself just to sort of yeah. have that to gain that sort of balance and that that was something that I, I just really enjoyed reading Oh, thank you. Well, it was a lot of fun to to write her journey, and she was. It's funny because people say, "Okay, well, what's your who's your favourite character?" and 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 also the other thing that women writers particularly are accused of are, are writing Mary Sue's, so mm-hmm. like inserting themselves into the text. But with Kindra, um, she wasn't my favourite character to write, and I didn't empathise with her the most. Um, my favourite character was Brigen, and I think yes. Brigen is a lot of people's favourite character. Um, but she is most like me. Um, with Kindra, I think by necessity, the whole letting go of you, you know, your emotions thing yeah. does distance, you know, does distance the character from you. So the challenge with writing Kindra was maintaining her 
maintaining maintaining a reader's empathy yeah while also pursuing the natural trajectory of the character i.e becoming her becoming distanced from yeah. from herself okay so um what are you currently working on currently well obviously you probably heard that i have a new book in yes. the works that is <laughs> coming out in spring 2021 which seems like a really long time but I mean we're already in September already (laughs) and I don't think it's going to be a really long time so that book is a complete departure from epic fantasy it's a historical folk tale called Sister Song and it's a a retelling a reimagining of a murder ballad that's that appeared in the child ballads but also across many other cultures Um, and it has many titles it's called The Two Sisters or Bonnie Swans and it's basically a story of sexual jealousy and sibling rivalry where a, a a king has two or sometimes three children and the the eldest child the eldest daughter ends up killing her younger sister uh, pushing her in a river mm-hmm. over the love of a man and the uh, the cool part about the story that, that really drew me in was kind of the gruesome fate that befalls the younger sister she washes up on a, a riverbank and a harper comes along and for some unknown macabre folk taleish reason he decides mm-hmm. to make a harp out of her body uh, which in the <laughs> song in the song is you know like fairly glossed over i mean yeah. like it just says he made a harp of her breastbone and he you know made harp strings of her golden hair but i was like oh my god you know to make a harp of somebody's breastbones you're gonna have to like cut them up like yeah. a lot i mean yeah. we're talking about literally dismembering a human body and immediately I thought I want to write that scene (laughs) it's not (laughs) like I'm I'm not grimdark or gruesome it's just that I just so I'm so uh I'm so interested in how that came about and of course how the the ballad ends is that the harp is taken back to the family uh, where the elder sister is still there and probably gloating. And uh, the harp uh, can only sing one song, but that is the song of what happened to the younger sister. Yeah. And of course, the elder sister is then found out and probably suffers some horrible punishment. Um, but it's like one of those classic ballads where you feel like this is not the whole story, where I'd like to know what drove the elder sister to commit such a malicious act you know yeah. I feel like there's always blame on both sides and surely the younger sister had you know had done something to deserve it in some way uh, and I love I just I've always loved the idea of like the two sides to every story and how things kind of hint there's lots of stuff that's been yeah. kind of un, unsaid and unburied and um, or buried and I'd like to unbury it so that's kind of where that story came from really I think that with when you go to like an, an old folktale there's always that sort of there's the sort of story that's known and then there is always that space that we've just talked about sort of the stuff in the margins and the the untold story within the story yes, and, and uh, it's it's a case of yes you wanted to write that scene about the the sort of like that you know the way that the half is being made and then it's I guess what I'm asking is is what else sort of attracts you to those kinds of stories? 
Um, well, yeah, it was interesting because the that scene necessarily comes at the very end um, of the story, mm-hmm. and there really isn't anything in the ballad that kind of can help you get to that point. So I had to create an entire world uh, and a, a situation in which that, those events could take place. Um, and the I'm really pleased that I set it in a historical period um, because initially when I came up with it, I first heard this ballad sung by Lorena McKennett, who's a Canadian singer who mm-hmm. I absolutely love. And um, and I was thinking of set- setting it in a secondary world, uh, but I'm really glad I didn't because I think the historical element, I really got into that part and <laughs> I thought I'd love to set it in my hometown or the place yeah. where you know, my hometown now is in Devon. Um, And it's a really interesting period in history that there's very little written about. It's the kind of um, what is now known as early medieval. So it's about 500 AD. Yeah. Um, But the the Lorena McKennett version of the ballads talks about three children of the king or a farmer, whoever you like to Mm -hmm. say. And... uh, but but the middle child is never mentioned in the ballad. And that was another point of interest for me. I was like, okay, so why is that child gone from the story? Yeah. Um, and we know I've been doing a lot of work with Breaking the Glass Slipper and I've been, um, you know, reading a lot of and, and listening to a lot of guests speak about this subject of erasure and a whitewashing history and mm-hmm. removing people who they, for, you know, for some these false historical accuracy yeah. reasons. So I thought, well, why would this child have disappeared from the story? And so actually, Sister Song, as much as it's a story of the the two sisters, the the elder and the younger, it's also um, it's actually the main character is Keen, who um, was trans in a time where trans as a word didn't exist right um so it's his story and and his story of being caught between um his sisters and a world which is extremely gendered i mean i still think we live in it in an extremely gendered society yes. but we're desperate to gender everything but particularly in this historical period um you know i wanted to say yes these people um, tra- trans people as they've always existed um and yeah they probably had a terrible time of it um mm-hmm. but i didn't want it to be just a, a trans story i wanted Keane's um gender identity to kind of be part of the fabric of the world as well as you know you know he obviously he has a difficult time but it is a story of hope and it you know he he finds himself and he finds acceptance um so I felt like this freight, the ballad framework just could offer so much. Uh, there was just so much scope for telling multiple stories and giving people back their voices um, who may otherwise that we've forgotten about. Yeah, brilliant. That just sounds awesome. So um, I'm going to move on a little bit now. So um, these are the questions that I ask everybody who uh, comes to talk to me on my podcast. So what have you read? Recently that I yes. can recommend? Yes. <laughs> right. Well, um, I, I'm working through, um, I'm going to recommend some nonfiction, which is, okay. um, yep, off the cuff here. Um, it's Robert McFarlane's Underland. And 
it's a book about humanity's relationship with the earth and specifically the underground and it is completely magnificent and it's wonderful it goes from charting kind of deep forgotten caving systems to the entire underland that exists beneath um, Paris as well as some other cities and Mm -hmm. you can actually go down and there are these um, it's like a labyrinth of chambers to squeeze around it just so and it's so exciting it's a kind of blend of um, you know physically being in these spaces with the kind of metaphysical elements and he talks about how they are religious and spiritual um, as well as um, you know, places that have seen a lot of history that's sometimes violent and bloody. And so it, it really charts an enormous amount of um, kind of amount of detail. And he goes to many different places. So that's that's my nonfiction wreck that right. I think everybody should totally check out. The other one I'd like to mention is I've just started reading Wonders of the Invisible World, which is a collection of short stories by Patricia McKillop. And Patricia McKillop is one of my all-time favourite authors. I discovered her kind of about the same time I was reading those epic fantasies. Mm-hmm. And she was just offered such a refreshing take on fantasy. Everything she writes is utterly beautiful. Um, if you haven't read her Tamlin retelling, which is called Winter Rose, I heartily recommend that. Okay. Um but yeah, if you're into, if you'd like, or if you'd like to, if you don't read enough short stories or you can't get into them, what, uh, Wonders of the Invisible World is a brilliant place to start. Fantastic. Okay. So um, what have you seen or what have you been watching? Um, so I'm a big anime nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been watching, I've been, yeah, I just, I think it's because um, I now have Netflix and that's opened up a world of anime that I didn't have, I couldn't see before. I also have Crunchyroll, so I literally dived right in. Um, I watched uh, Guilty Crown, which is a really, um, really interesting uh, anime, um, Mm -hmm. uh, which actually talks about, uh, I think I mentioned this at Worldcon on one of the panels, it's, it talks about the reluctant hero, you know, refusal of the call, which is a kind of a fantasy trope. Yeah. You don't often see it um, done quite so obviously as this, whereas a boy, you know, accidentally inherits a great power, but then turns his back on it and doesn't help and doesn't use it. And it takes him a long time to realize that he has a responsibility yeah. to to use this power um i've just finished attack on titan which is like amazing i really really enjoyed it it was it's so twisty and full of like shock surprises and i maybe people don't like that so much and it's quite bloody but honestly it's it's really really exciting okay. um and i'm kind of working my way through lucifer which is my kind of light-hearted <laughs> like you know something it's, I like to pick up when I'm in the, in the right mood. <laughs> it it's it, it is good. I have I have been enjoying Lucifer quite a lot for you know assorted reasons really. But uh, uh, I always enjoy the episodes where uh, Tom Ellis gets to sing. That's that's always a sort of a, a quite happy making moment for me. <laughs> Do you think? Does he? You know, he plays the piano. Does he actually play the piano? I haven't worked this out yet. Oh, uh, in my head, yes, he does. <laughs> we just pretend yeah, I don't know. he I'm, definitely I'm gonna... plays the piano and, and my head canon is that he plays the piano as well <laughs> that's it then he plays the piano and sings he's a very talented man he is must be um 
otherwise that that just ruins the image <laughs> totally um and sort of moving on so what do you what have you heard or what do you listen to oh my gosh i am is this music wise uh, yeah or right. and or anything you know that that's I, I leave them quite wide open for interpretation well i am um terrible i i really don't listen to any modern music at all <laughs> Uh, apart from like Lorena McKenna anything she has out and a couple yeah. of other exceptions but most of my exceptions are kind of alternate alternative folk rock mm-hmm. that kind of thing um I tend to like to say that you know I'm a, pretty much a living in the 60s 70s and 80s particularly the 60s and 70s for my yeah. my music tastes I, my favorite band of all time is Pink Floyd yeah uh and they just there isn't anyone better than them they're just amazing um but i'm also a beatles a rolling stones fan i like a bit of dylan i like a bit of 10 cc um i'm quite 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 eclectic across uh across about two or three decades but then someone says oh what have you been listening to recently i'm like modern music i sound like a like a you know oh in my day things were so much better (laughs) (laughs) i know this is something else i've I've found that uh I'm I'm quite similar, but I sort of I tended to gravitate towards like glam rock in the early seventies, and I wasn't you know it, this is all far before I was born, but just like the, that glam rock era and the stuff that came out of that was was always a lot of fun, and is is a lot of fun to listen to. That and prog, I'm, I do quite like yeah. some prog as well. <laughs> totally into that <laughs> yeah I used to uh when I was doing some like you know uh promo for the world maker trilogy I created a Spotify playlist of the all the songs that inspired the trilogy mm-hmm. um and as you can guess there was quite a few Lorena McKennett tracks on there but I think I had some other stuff as well I think there was like a Bruce Dickinson one and uh there was oh a couple of um oh Goo Goo Dolls and uh oh can't even remember now but um it was yeah there, there was some there was some pop and rock as, as well as kind of folky soundtracky stuff on there it's it's really interesting when you find a song that resonates exactly with your work in progress yes. and you're like my god this song was totally written for my characters and then you're like I've got there's a Leonard Cohen one that came from his kind of last album that yeah. is just totally perfect for a couple of my characters in Firestorm and every time I hear it I'm like oh, I think of my characters <laughs> like they're, oh. they're alive in this music it's kind of sad but I think that's the same for a lot of writers that you just have you know there there are definitely playlists that are almost and songs that are just made for certain situations well it's one one of the things I'm I'm quite a big musicals fan and I listen to a Me lot too. of music I listen to a lot of musicals and um as and I sort of when I've been more involved with sort of various elements of fandom it is it's always like um oh from chess and now I can't remember the name of the track um there's a track from chess which I I sort of always, was always like that's my go-to duet that I I I sort of sort of um any characters that I'm shipping that tends to be where I sort of I apply it it's just yeah it's my little sad admission <laughs> oh well I like to give a shout out to Hades Town because oh yes. my god is that good I went <gasps> to see it at the National before it 
are finished and yes. my sister got us the best seats it was like in the royal circle and we mm-hmm. just had an amazing view and I was so I saw Hamilton last year as well yes which was good and something a bit different but I mean Hades Town just blew blew it away for me it was I, I mean I'm I'm a fan of um, Anais Mitchell's music anyway so mm-hmm. there we go look there's somebody modern I like Anais Mitchell amazing and she does the child she's got a wonderful album um called the, the child ballads and that's mm-hmm. obviously she's taken some of this obviously every, every child ballads is like the flavor of the month um but yeah Hades Town, my god i mean who doesn't love the story um that the persephone myth yeah and it could just be done so many times and i don't think i'd get tired of it and um, yeah there's and um, it's the, the mixture of it being um Persef- persephone and hades and um orpheus and eurydice as well that plays yes. as a as a Sort of dichotomy it's it oh yes it worked beautifully together and uh it was yeah the staging was exquisite i felt like it had a very diverse cast um yep. people of varying um abilities and people um you know who you don't see on the stage that much yeah. and i just thought that was that was so they were so aware they, they wanted to include everybody and it, it made that made perfect sense because you know a lot of it is the backdrop is you mean humanity in general is the backdrop to the story yeah. and the struggle that everybody goes through um you know especially you know on the in the in the working classes enough to you know feeding your family like even those these most basic things uh, and being sucked into kind of soul soulless work where you lose yourself um just because you're you're desperately trying to survive in yeah. in a world that's that's full of um inequality uh, that it's just and then having that very poetic storyline set against that backdrop was just incredible it's one of the best musicals i've ever seen well i haven't seen it yet but i have been listening to the soundtrack um virtually on repeat so i'm I'm hoping that we get a, a sort of it will run again, uh, sort of um, back in the UK because I think it's, it's on Broadway at the moment. My friend went to see it and she's been raving about it ever since. So I'm oh, like, I hope it comes back. I would totally see it again. Isn't so, Hades's voice amazing? Oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, when he first just... sings, we're like, whoa! <laughs> he really sounds like the god of the underworld got to be the the role he's born to play i mean it's such an intense bass and you you don't you don't tend to hear that many sort of basses like that outside of opera it's just so low and oh it, it's like treacle it's amazing yeah it is it's oh god fantastic fantastic um, cast um yeah some really something quite different from the musicals i used to see a lot of as a kid yeah I'm all about the well, modern musicals. And oh, did you get to see Company? No, what's that? I don't think I've heard of it. Oh, okay. It last year there was up until about March this year it was running in the West End, and it's a Stephen Sondheim, and it features probably the most famous song is "Being Alive" from it, which you may have come across. And Patti Lapone was in the run as one of Bobby's friends. But the main thing that they did is they gender flipped Bobby. So in all the other productions, Bobby is a man who reaches his 35th birthday and hasn't yet married and all of the you know existential dread that comes with that. And they gender flipped it so that Bobby was a was a woman who was reaching her 35th birthday and unmarried and has no children. And I think it's it's kind of ruined me for other productions because uh, now it's like female Bobby is my Bobby. 
and it was great the the soundtrack is out there and I, it's definitely worth a listen and it's it the staging for it was just sort of very Alice in Wonderland and there was sort of you know entering different sections of her life it was just such a beautiful production and really sort of very much mo- very emotional and like I've, I've now turned 40 and still not married still no children and it's like ah this this feels very familiar <laughs> that was good to see and they even sometimes said oh this is what was missing putting oh, we should have done it this way so it it really has been quite the quite was quite the production and uh yeah I just adored it I won't say it twice because nerd and I could so <laughs> now the next thing I was going to ask is um what have you been playing ah right <laughs> well always playing something I am still working my way through the Assassin's Creed franchise <laughs> um played a lot of Odyssey um mm-hmm. but at the moment I've gone back to Syndicate because I I missed Syndicate out is when it when it first was came out and I just thought oh you know I fancy a bit of Victorian London so I've been working my way through Assassin's Creed Syndicate which is fun I also played a really lovely game before that called Child of Light which has been out do you know it yes I've played Child of Light (laughs) it's wonderful and it's been out for quite a few years and I didn't realize I've never come across it I, I found it in a steam sale yeah and they you know it was being advertised and i just it's it's the whole world is like watercolor the 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 concept art and the backdrops are all hand painted and it's such a lovely simple story and it is really it's such a delight to play especially because you get wings and like that's a dream of mine i just i love flying around so it's a completely and it's perfect i recommended it to my sister because she doesn't like um games like you know assassin's creed where you Mm -hmm. you know if you if you stand still you get killed by yes. so you have to like learn complicated moves yes. she prefers um you know to enjoy you know atmospheric uh, yeah. games and it's the combat system in child of light as you know is based on a kind of dungeons and dragons you know yeah. everyone has a chance to to yeah. roll kind of thing um so it's more like a i'm not sure what they actually call that uh, the combat mechanic for that um turn based Ideal. Thank you. It's sounding yes. like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yes, but it is. That is exactly yeah. it. It's turn-based. And so, yes, Child of Light. And another one that um, prioritises storytelling over um, combat or action mm-hmm. is um, the Edith Finch game. Have you heard yes. of? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what Remains of Edith Finch. A friend yes. of mine bought it for me and said, you need to play this. It's... And I was like, okay. I've got, I did get stuck. So I have sort of left it in the corner a bit. But uh, I, I tend to like games which just involve me walking around, discovering bits of story. Um, that is the ideal one for you then. Yes. Yeah. Um, I just I thought it was really fantastic storytelling. And re- also, God, it's creepy. I mean, would you live in that house? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so actually, yeah, I do. I've got a fair. To be honest, my my gaming, I I tend to like um, RPGs and story rich games. Over, I mean, like I don't do kind of one person shooters, and it's just a bit. That's a bit hardcore for me. I prefer things like uh, Dragon Age, which I always replay. I've been replaying that. Uh, I've been replaying Inquisition with you know packing mods in uh, <laughs> and obviously Skyrim uh, is another favorite uh, and Dishonored which is one of my favorite games of all time what do you think needs more love 
I was just thinking, um, can I give a shout out to um, another book that I feel like is underappreciated? You certainly can. Because um, the third work in it's the third one in the trilogy is coming out in only a, a few weeks time. And um, the woman who wrote the trilogy is called Paige L. Christie. And she is the loveliest person as well as a very talented writer. And her, her first book is called uh, Dragon Weather. And it's I found it is extremely clever. It comes out from a perspective uh, press, which is a small US based press, but you can buy the books on online. And she likes to I mean, she, the way she explained it to me was she wanted to have a look at, you know, the the famous myth or story about how um, a young sometimes probably mostly virgin is tied to a rock and a dra- as a sacrifice and a dragon yeah. comes and, you know, takes her away or burns her up. And thus the village is kept safe for another 10 years. So her premise is, what if the woman tied to the rock wanted to be there? Okay. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is sold. I'm sold immediately on this book. And it's I've the um, I was really lucky to read proofs of the first two um, yeah. in the series. And I've got the third one. Um, I'm just, just going to start it. So I'm really excited about it. But it's just so it's so wonderful and it talks about the power of female education and the necessity of female education and it's so different from the other like kind of mainstream fantasy that's being written today especially in its execution um so if you haven't found dragon weather yet um you please do check out Paige's work because i think she's amazing and also we were lucky enough to have her as a guest on breaking the glass slipper last year Fantastic. Uh, and she talked about some really interesting stuff and, and we, we talked a lot about the books then. So if you go and dig out that episode, that would be a, a great introduction to her I books. And um, I now have a couple of questions from Twitter. Oh, and right. Hisham has asked, what's your favourite game to play and how many times have you played it? Be honest. Right. OK, picking a favourite is extremely difficult because I totally love loads of games i mean it would probably have to be a toss-up between like elder scrolls and dragon age Mm -hmm. both of which are quite different but let's just say with elder scrolls i mean morrowind is probably my favorite game of all time and if you combined my morrowind hours with my skyrim hours and probably my oblivion hours as well it would definitely be about 1500 good grief (laughs) i've played a thousand hours of skyrim alone so and skyrim is the biggest game with the most mods available so that's probably i mean i keep going back to it and go oh what mods can i download now and you know they're just people are so talented the mod creators are so talented they just keep putting out incredible mods like turning into a dragon and flying which i think should have been in the original game because you know you are dragonborn yeah so you should be able to turn into a dragon and the other question that I have for you from Hisham is, if you could erase the memory of watching one film or TV show so that you could enjoy it again for the first time, which would it be? Oh, my goodness. These are I so know. tough. <sighs> well, I always say that my... This is such an unoriginal answer. But my favourite films are the Lord of the Rings films because they I feel like they're done so well. And yes. Howard Shaw's musical score is perfection. It's so beautiful. And when those films came out in the cinema, I was I don't think I've ever been as excited to see a film as that. And I read the book, you know, when just yeah. before Fellowship came out, I read the book from start to finish all over again. And 
yeah, just going to the cinema thinking, my God, I'm seeing this and I don't know what to expect. You know, that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I watch them again and again, but I know I know them off by heart now and can quote half the films. So <laughs> it I, comes I in pints. It, <laughs> it would be magical to be able to go oh, back yes. to that moment and, you know, you don't know what to expect. No. Be, yeah. So some of my favourite films yeah, there. And I think Fellowship's my favourite of the three as well. Just It is my favourite of the three too. I don't know why. I just feel like there's it's incredibly varied. And there, there's something really magical about the beginning of a story. Yes. Where you know you've got, it's the call to adventure. You, you, things are happening. You've got to respond to them. And, and, and while I love the other two films, obviously Fellowship, there's just, it's just a magical, magical film, this this idea of yeah. you know everything is being introduced and the, the story you begin to realize how you know epic this world is yeah definitely cool so that's that's all my questions for today thank you so much for your time and your your sort of like patience well my mum r- rang in the middle of it <laughs> <laughs> oh you're welcome thank you so much for having me on I love you know everyone loves talking about their work right <laughs> Thank you.